Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another exciting episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens and we're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 kilohertz AM and 92.3 megahertz FM. You can also listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org. Sitting across the desk from me is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who might be listening this evening. Pastor, I came across an article recently, just this last week, that I found very disturbing, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. The article is about millennials, and just to remind you, millennials are those individuals who were born in the 1980s and 1990s. And the opening sentence of the article says, According to a Barna report released last month, nearly half of Christian millennials think it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith and hope that they will one day share the same faith. What are your thoughts there? I think, number one, it's very unusual. I, I cannot conceive of any generation of Christian believing that it's abnormal or unusual to share the faith. But I think this is part of the uh, religious culture of our times, especially the introduction of pluralism, where every religion is now viewed as basically fundamentally the same. None is seen as superior to the other. And the whole idea is to accommodate everybody because they have certain core beliefs that every, every religion holds to. Uh, the, the, this is not the time when people want to differentiate or want uh, any kind of um, uniqueness at all. And it's unfortunate that the church has allowed that to creep into the church itself. This would not have happened to this generation had the church uh, been pre- presenting the gospel in an exclusive way. But I think because the church has accommodated error, um, both against the authority of Scripture and then the idea of um, other religions being valid, I think that has led to the uh, the situation we find ourselves in. But certainly... Um, this is not a biblical position. It is more of a compromising uh, situation. So you're saying that possibly even the fact that some churches are say in trying to incorporate evolution into the Genesis account or push the Genesis account of creation aside undermines the... Uh, the power of Scripture, and as a result, would result in this? Uh, it's not just a matter of uh, compromising with the evolutionary th- false theory, basically. Uh, from the time the church embraced that theory, it led to embracing other theories. Uh, for example, it, it led to the whole matter of the take the, the, um, the homosexuality situation, the lesbian situation. 
um, when you compromise in one area and you don't hold to the biblical foundation, especially in the book of Genesis, uh, you find that you will compromise in other areas. So it's not surprising once you have um, yielded uh, to the pressure of the society and the scientific community uh, to cause you to renege on the biblical standard as far as the the, um, the creation account is given, then that opens the door for you having to compromise fair on gender issues, on marriage issues, because you no longer have an infallible authority any longer. You're not holding to that. And I think that gradually this is what has happened. So you've led from one compromise to the other. And um, I find it um, unbelievable that in my generation I would witness uh, a, a, a group of people professing to be Christians who think it is normal and natural for same-sex marriage or a lesbian relationship. And what bothers me more is that there are a lot of people claiming to be homos and lesbians to be Christian. No such creature exists. I keep telling people that. And what's what, your basis for that statement? Because I don't think those people have repented. Okay. So you're going back to Scripture. I'm going as back basis. to Scripture. Yeah. You have to... And here's the problem. These people who are claiming that it is okay to be a lesbian or to be a, a homosexual or to practice same-sex marriage, the problem is very, very clear that when th- those people were told to believe, what was missing in the whole process is that they need to repent of what was their predominant sin when they came to Christ. And this is the error the church is making. It is going out telling people believe, but it's ignoring the other part of the gospel, is repent and believe. It's not just believe, it's to repent. Nobody is a Christian who hasn't repented. And I think this is where the message of the gospel has been truncated. And mainly, I believe, because uh, the church wants to be accepted, uh, the church wants to be relevant, and uh, the church doesn't want to be labeled as intolerant or bigoted or homophobic or whatever. And as a result of that, they're not prepared to take any stand, and the media will do a job on them. And consequently, I think they've softened the position of Scripture, and we are headed down a, a moral slope that is leading to a real catastrophe as it is already, but it's going to get worse than this. Because I am, I'm going to predict that in a few uh, years' time, we are now going to move from this situation where probably you're going to get people accepting people who are pedophiles. Hmm. And then when you lead to bestiality, where, where is it going to stop? The, the authority to stop these things is Scripture. It is against all it. But once you've allowed these things to be, come into the church and accept in the church, where do you draw the line? You no longer can draw the line because once you compromise in one area, it leads to compromise deeper down the, the other areas. I just want to make sure I understood what you said there. You said no one who has not repented is a Christian. Correct. Uh, there's no such thing as salvation outside of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. You repent of your sins. And but you if I pray to prayer, I can be a Christian, right? But there's, look, when our Lord came and John the Baptist came, they preached the message of repent, 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 repent. That's the message that we are told to do, repent. God commanded all men everywhere to repent in that he has raised Christ from the dead, reminding men that one day will give an account before him. The message of the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But uh, that's the gospel. But the Bible makes it quite clear that your, your need of the gospel is the fact that you understand that you're a sinner. Nobody just wants the gospel until you understand what the gospel is all about. Mm. The gospel rescues you from your sin. Uh, if you want to hold on to your sin... 
you cannot turn to the gospel because you don't want the gospel. The gospel is a transforming work that takes place in a person's life. A person is never the same after they're saved. There's a new nature that's put in there in the believer's life. He's a new creature in Christ. He has an unction from on high. And because of this, he has a seed of God within him that battles against the sin nature. But what I'm seeing today is that people are very, very comfortable in their sin and boasting that they're Christians even though they're living habitual sinful lives. I think that is a sad, sad mistake. And I think that those people are in for total surprise when they stand before God and give an account. I think they realize that you've got bogus beliefs and not a true, authentic Christian faith. Do you have a topic that you would like discussed here on That's Truth? We would love to hear it. And I want to start out by... Thanking the individual who suggested our topic for tonight. And our topic for tonight is how to study and properly interpret the Bible. The Bible, 66 books compiled together, written over a 1,500-year period, uh, many different authors, multiple languages. Pastor, why is it important that I study the Bible? Well, there are a lot of reasons why we should study the Bible, and I hope that every Christian uh, has that desire uh, to go into the Bible and to to, to do a study of it. Um, Let me just, without giving any particular order, let Mm -hmm. me just mention uh, a few things that relate to this importance of studying the Bible. Uh, If I'm going to be an effective Christian, and I'm going to be able to handle the Word of God effectively in dealing with other people, uh, is a given that I need to be able to to know the Bible. So if I'm going to be effective in my Christian witness, if I'm going to be effective in my Christian growth, uh, I grow through the Word. So I need to make sure that the Bible is a part of my daily diet and part of my daily study. Um, I also um, need to know what God commands me to do. What does He expect of me? Uh, I can only discover what He expects of me by going into the Word. And it's not studying the Bible just to get knowledge so that I can find and discover some truth that nobody has found before. And maybe I can boast about and uh, be elated about. I go to the Bible to find out what is God's will, what is God's purpose. And uh, I go to the Bible to find what he expects of me. And I want to practice this matter of obedience. Um, The other thing about it is that we have to realize that having the Bible and knowing the Bible makes me a much stronger Christian. Uh, in John, John wrote to the young men and said, I write to you, young men, because you're strong. And he said, the word of God abideth within you. If we're going to beat our habits and the besetting sins that are in our lives, um, and we are going to be strong spiritually, we have to feed not just on the milk of the word, but the meat of the word. So we have to study the word so that we become strong as believers. Another thing is, uh, how am I going to get assurance of salvation? Um, if I am not a a person that is a word-filled believer. Um, The Word of God is the only objective uh, proof or support as far as salvation is concerned. Uh, We may have subjective experiences, but when it comes to having the objective fact that I am eternally saved before God, there's only one source of information that would establish my eternal security, and that has to that will be the Word of God. Uh, you know, in our church, we're studying Romans chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul is doing a detailed study on the whole matter of assurance. That's one of the great texts of the Bible if a person is lacking assurance in terms of their salvation. That is one of the great texts that they can study. So, um, the assurance, and then... Confidence in prayer. Uh, It's interesting that in John chapter 15, uh, our Lord said, If you abide in me, 
and my words abide in you. You should ask what you will. Uh, so notice there's a link between remaining in Christ, and the word abide means to be at home in Christ. So it has to do with an ongoing relationship. But notice the other word is that, and my words abide in you. So if I'm going to have uh, my prayer answered, uh, he said, you will ask what you will and it should be given unto you. But the, the conditionality that is laid down there is the matter of abiding in Christ and abiding in his word. Another thing that uh, helps uh, with the Bible study, why we should study, is because it's through the study of the word often that my, our sins are brought to our attention. Um, we are cleansed through the word. Uh, David said, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Uh, and a lot of times, uh, even on motives, uh, we may be doing the right thing, but we've got the wrong motives. And that's where the book of Hebrews tells us that the Bible is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. It, it really deals with our motives. So we might be doing something we think is pretty okay, but then we get into the Word. We might discover that uh, the motive is all wrong. So the matter of cleansing. And then uh, Christian joy is also linked um, with the study of the Word. Uh, in John chapter 15, our Lord says, um, that they will have joy because of the words he's spoken to them. John chapter 15, verse 11. So and the extent of my joy is also linked to the extent of my knowledge of the word. And that is important. Do you then, think that's why there's so many unjoyful Christians out there? Partly. I think partly. I look, I think most people get up in the mornings, rush off to work. I think if we were to do a survey yeah. of the churches in Antigua, and the, to determine the spiritual state of the Church of Antigua and ask some very basic questions. Do you read your Bible every day? Do you pray every day? I think we would be shocked at mm -hmm. the current uh, spiritual state of the Church. And that is why uh, we need to rebuild the disciplines of the Christian life that we uh, sometimes talk about. But I don't doubt in my mind that a person who hasn't read the book for a week or a month uh, it's difficult to see how that person will be able to handle the challenges of life and the difficulties and the the um, different experiences that are negative. How do they maintain any level of joy without having something in the Word to encourage them or to, to rebuke them or to exhort them or to console them? Uh, so I think it's very difficult to have true Christian joy apart from a, uh, be a daily part of the Word of God. And then uh, it also gives us a sense of peace in John chapter 16, verse 33, um, he says to them that um, he links his peace with the words that he's spoken to them. In John chapter 16, verse 33. So peace is not something that is automatic. Um, it is linked to truth. And as we go through this life, uh, we often lose our joy and our peace, and this is where the Word comes in. And then another reason we, we should study is because it helps us and guide us in making the right decisions. Uh, if we're informed with Scripture, and we know God's will is expressed in Scripture, and, and remember that the Bible is there to guide us in every facet of our lives, there's not a problem that a person will confront today or tomorrow or ever that is not some biblical principle that bears upon that particular issue. Uh, it might take some time to discover it. Uh, it might be there in a, a passage. It might be there in a, by a precept. It might be there by an example. But clearly you can get uh, help. And when it comes to making decisions, uh, the Word of God is, is clearly needed. And then First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 15, talks about our capacity to articulate our faith. 
uh, be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in us. And we need to understand that if we're going to deal with people who might be seeking truth or a person who is a skeptic or a scorner or an agnostic or an atheist, uh, we have to be able to respond to that person. And what better way to respond to him because we've got to give them answers to those issues than to get into the Word. And then uh, there's a great promise in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, and Psalm chapter 1, and verse 1 and 3, uh, about the Word and meditating the Word and the concept of success. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of God, but meditates in the Word day in and day and night. Then he will have great success. Joshua tells us in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of your heart, but thou shalt meditate day in and day and night, and then thou shalt have great success. So our success as Christians... Substantially is dependent also on our study of the Word. I think that's about nine or uh, ten different good reasons that I um, would just suggest that uh, why we should. There may be others, but I think that's a, a fairly good summary of some of the reasons why we need to study the Word. One other thing I would add here today, I think we need clarity on a lot of issues today because we're living in a world of moral confusion. And there's no greater book to shed light on the darkness that is pervading our society than to be able to get biblical answers. And we can only provide biblical answers if we study the Word to provide those answers. And I think this is one of the the challenges that the church has got to deal with. Uh, For example, I haven't seen anybody in the Caribbean deal with some of the major issues that we're dealing with today, like... um, I haven't seen any books or any leaflets come out on the the gender issue or the transgender or the homosexual issue or the the the, the, the drug issue, uh, the abortion issue. Those are issues that need to be dealt with from a biblical perspective. Uh, we've heard human opinion, but human opinion always leads down a dark alley. Hmm. What we need is biblical truth, and that's where we need to dig the word to provide answers to these men. Think the matter of uh, prison reform as well. Um, this guy that um, Coulson, uh, Chuck, Chuck Coulson, Coulson, right, that yeah. now brought about the the Christian, f- the uh, the prison fellowship movement. Uh, what he did basically, because he had gone to prison as a result of the Watergate incident, when he became converted, when he left the prison, he came out and he, what he did, he applied biblical principles to the prison situation and came up with a lot of brilliant ideas of how to do prison reform. Uh, there are prisons, for example, in South America that people are allowed this is non-violent criminals depending on the gravity of the the the, um, the the crime they're actually allowed to leave prison on their own and go uh, to, to their homes and return uh, again that's that's never been heard about before so there are a lot of things that he came up with that have been adopted by different uh, uh, prisons in different parts of the world. But again, he only did that because he applied biblical principles to the prison situation that is currently. Do you have a question for us? You can WhatsApp or text it to one two six eight four six two seven eight two one four five four. Let me give that number to you again. WhatsApp or text your question to one two six eight seven eight two one four five four. We have a caller calling from Bendel's Antigua. Thank you for calling and go ahead quickly with your question, please. Yeah, good evening to the program. Good evening. Um Dr. Murphy. Yes sir. Question to you please um I would like to know if or answer unsafe people pray because sometimes in my time I would meet. They're listening to unsafe. They tell me, oh, they're praying to God. 
and God and saying God and saying then will bless him all the world in all if all what they have mm-hmm. I think yes keep everything God God be rain be rain on the own jobs and the jobs yeah so let you come to repentance and accept God as your own savior yeah he he is not your savior yeah, well, he's not know, the savior guru. Mm-hmm. You say, you know, how, how come he blessed me? How come I have all that I have and thing? I say, well, the devil give a gift to you, you know. <laughs> all the gift and perfect gift come from above. Yeah. Yeah, well, I know the Bible says. Yeah, I, could I respond? Yes, sir. Yeah, I used to hold that position, and to some extent, I hold it in a in a um, at, at a lesser degree. The reason for that is, if you go to the Book of Acts and um, the connection with uh, Peter and Cornelius. Before Cornelius was saved, and uh, when um, the Lord uh, eventually sent Peter to him, um, in addressing Peter and in connection with Cornelius, uh, Cornelius obviously was a just man, uh, when I say a proselyte, a person who was not saved, looking for truth. But mm-hmm. you'll notice in the text there clearly that the Lord uh, said that uh, he remembers the prayer of Cornelius and the almsgiving of Cornelius as well. So clearly that uh, there is an indication there that um, Cornelius was praying to God and asking for tr- um, direction, how to find the faith, and the Lord eventually responded to his prayer. So Cornelius is unsaved, and uh, he's, he's looking for the way to be saved, and he's praying. Uh, he goes where he can pray. He goes into the temple. He's a devout man. He's not a Christian, but he's seeking God, and eventually God responds to his desire to know him. So I would say that God hears on, on prayer, on saved person's prayer for redemption and salvation. When a person is really seeking after God, asking God, God, show me the way, point me to the truth, open my eyes, lead me to someone, lead someone to me. I think those are the kind of prayers that God answers. Uh, the people who are really uh, searching for him and who want to find out the truth. But in Acts chapter uh, 10, you'll find it uh, uh, talked about very clearly there that the Lord did hear Cornelius' prayer before he was actually saved. But this was a a desire for for truth, a desire to find out how to be converted, uh, how to know Christ and how to get his sins forgiven. And God eventually led Peter to him in a miraculous way. I think, look, this is the, the question that people ask sometimes. What happened to the man who's never heard the gospel before? Uh, is he still damned? And my contention is this. Any man, any planet on planet Earth that looks at God's creation and understands that God has created and that there is a God, if that man responds to that light and, and uh, is thankful to God for that revelation and then asks God to lead him to greater truth to understand how he can be converted, I am of the... Um, opinion that God will bring greater light to that person. The problem with modern man is that he looks at all the glory in heaven with all the knowledge he has and rather than uh, wonder at the great awesome God that we have and all that he sees created um, he he doesn't search for truth he uh, rejects that truth and consequently he becomes blinded but uh, the creation, the natural order tells us things about God. And when a person responds properly to that revelation, God will give further revelation. And that person who's praying for God to to know God uh, more clearly and more thoroughly, 
uh, I believe that God will respond to that. But generally speaking, when on say people talk about praying to God and asking Him for this and for that, I agree with you. Um, those are the kind of prayers that um, simply are not the kind of request that God wants, because uh, what He wants is a broken and contrite heart that seeks Him, and that's the kind of prayer He would answer. Yeah, and let me tell you, and then you will meet somebody and you will tell them if you don't give their heart to God and tell you, oh boy, I give my heart to God a long time. I people tell him, well, life goes to this thing. You know, I'm not living in the church where my mother put me. I'm a male, I'm a Catholic, Methodist, and I'm not living there. Because the things I born is there, it is. And you have to actually say in there, but they are actually a Christian. Yeah. Well, so, I, 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 um, I run into those people very, very often especially when you do visitation. The first time you knock at the door, they come to you, they say, I, I, um, I'm not changing my church. <laughs> I said to them, I'm not talking about church, no. I'm talking about knowing Christ as Savior. But I run into those kind of situations again and again. And it's very pathetic that uh, people are not prepared to really uh, look into the Word and see what the Word says and are guided more by what the church says and what the, the priest says and what the bishop says um, it's very, very, very unfortunate that our loyalty is to the church and not to Scripture and not to God. But I don't know if we can change that. All we can do is to be out there, visit, uh, witness to them, and uh, trust the Lord to open their eyes. But definitely there are a lot of religious people that are in blindness. As a matter of fact, they're so angry when you come to visit them that you wonder, wait, are these people really Christians? They're very, very angry because they think that you are a wayside church, you're evangelical church, you're not one of these established churches, and the whole attitude and the whole disposition of one of hostility is not a desire to know what the Word of God says. It's as though that, you know, um, my church is, uh, is it, and I am staying there, I'm going to die there. Well, they'll be damned there too if it's, it's, a, it's a false church. So, But we need, to, we need to still carry the Word, still witness, and uh, we've got the same challenges you've got, sir. Thank you for your call. Did that answer your question? Yes, please. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you for thank you. Have a good night. Thank you, sir. Uh, Pastor, going right along with the idea there about the, uh, putting the priest or the pastor's word above that of Scripture, I was doing some study on the topic of Bible study and this book put out by Barna, it says, Christians who do, who do not currently participate in a Bible study have three equally strong reasons for not doing so. And the strongest one was that they feel that their study of the Bible at church service is sufficient. Is that uh, something that we should even consider? That my time at... if. Well, I go to your church. You <laughs> preach for an hour, hour and a half. Is that not enough for for my week to be fed? Well, l- let me uh, let me just point this out to you for just a moment. If a person lives to be sixty-five, okay, okay, and uh, by the time if they die at sixty-five, they would have watched nine and a half years of television. If they go to Sunday school and they're up to sixty-five, they've only been there for four months. Now, you think about that for just a moment. Mm-hmm. So, um, I am not too sure that we should see church as a substitute for our own personal Bible study. The, the, the glory of discovering truth for yourself, rather than having it to be um, second-hand or hand-fed, 
that is an experience that is is just um, one of the most exciting things for a believer. So I do feel that um, we must not use the fact that we go to church on Sunday as an excuse for not doing some form of personal Bible study. And I think it's a cop-out for a person to think that they can just, you know, it's like you eating one meal on Sunday and expecting that meal to last you throughout the whole week. On not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know it's not going to happen. I think the biggest problem with most people is that they're not disciplined. And I think the other biggest problem is that the the um, your range of entertainment that is there to distract them is the biggest problem. It's not the television, it's your cell phone, it's the computer, it's the video games. We've got too much entertainment, and as a result, we don't have the discipline to put uh, some time aside to study the Word. And that is why I think we have so many weak Christians uh, in the church and in society as a general whole. Do you have a question? You can now call and be put live on the air. The phone number to do that is 268-462-7420. Now, Pastor, as I'm doing Bible study, and we'll get more into the specifics in a little bit, but is it okay for me to study other books, even on other religions, uh, as part of my Bible study so that I'm prepared to answer Jehovah's Witness or answer a Seventh-day Adventist or answer a Catholic about uh, differences on our interpretation of the Bible. And if it's okay to read these other books, should I be careful to balance it with Scripture, or do, do I need to have a balance there? Well, I think it depends on the individual. Um, as it stands currently, there are very few Christians that do any Bible study. I'm mm-hmm. talking personal Bible study. Mm-hmm. Uh, so until a person, in my judgment, has at least acquired the skills to do a Bible study and, and get into the Word, um, I would not advise that they make a study of a cult or a study of some other issue uh, the center of their Bible study. Um, I think the key thing is to f- try to get into the Word and try to study the Word. Uh, there's nothing wrong after you've developed the habit of Bible study uh, that then you can start bringing in these other topics and other subjects to, to deal with. But I think the first thing is to get people desiring the Word before we get into other uh, distractions, even if they're good distractions. I would, I would recommend that, first of all, we, we learn how to study the Word getting to a, a systematic study of the Word, and as we get into the Word, then we can we can be perhaps mix that. But initially, I think it's important to develop the habit first before we, um, we get distracted and going off in different areas. Even if we um, study the, the doctrine of the different groups, exa- exa- and we don't know the Word, it, I'm not sure how that will assist us to get a firmer grasp, because you have to be able to compare the uh, the aberrant doctrine with the orthodox teaching. And unless you know the orthodox teaching, I'm not too sure you know the aberrant doctrine. You know, I'm told that when they're teaching people about how to discover counterfeit money, they never show them counterfeit money. They show them the real thing. And once you know the real thing, you know the counterfeit when it comes. So they never show them the counterfeit money. It's always the real thing you concentrate on. And I think in a real, in a, in a, in a, uh, by analogy, I think the same should be true, that we get into the Word, get to know the Word first, and then later on we'll be able to deal with other heterodox teachings from other groups. We still have 58 minutes left in the program, so message a friend, message us with your question, encourage others, call someone, say, hey, that's Truth is on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, tune in, 
and listen to How to Better Study Your Bible. Do you have a question for us? You can WhatsApp or text it, one 782 1454 If you're joining us on Facebook Live, you can comment your question by the video feed, and it'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy. Pastor, let's transition into how do I prepare to study the Bible? Well, I would like to say to those who are really serious about pursuing uh, Bible study that this is not something you can just rush into. Everything that you do that is of any quality requires some kind of preparation. And so you have to prepare yourself um, for your study. I want to make some um, tips, give you about uh, maybe four important tips when you begin your, your, your study, Bible study. The first thing is that you need to schedule some time. Right? Uh, you can't just start Bible study uh, in an ad hoc way. And you can't do it in a sporadic or spasmodic type of, of, um, of practice. You have to set aside some specific time for your study. You ha- and, uh, you, this is not time that you will find. This is time you have to create. So you have to make time for your study. And by the way, we're not talking about your devotions now. Okay, Your devotion would normally last about maybe 15 to 20 minutes, which is the time when you read the scripture, normally try to find some principle or precept or some example that is there, to, and then a, a small prayer. So we're not talking about that. We're talking when you're really serious now, but really find out what the Bible teaches. You're saying I should spend more time in God's Word each day than just doing my devotions? I, I am saying if you're serious about Bible study, you cannot do Bible study in your devotions. Your devotions is just to, to give you what you need for for this day, basically. Mm-hmm. And normally it's very short. 10 to 15 minutes in the Word, read, read the Word, and then to, to say, say your prayer, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But you, you rush off, hoping, holding on to some principle that you've learned this week uh, in your Bible study. But if you're going to do in your, in, in your devotion, but if you're going to do your Bible study, it is more than just having a quiet time of 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, it requires a, a hunk of time. Uh, I, I would say at a minimum hour. It would be ideal, an hour, hour and a half. But um, you can't just do Bible study by just 10 or 15 minutes per day. But isn't that my pastor's job? Isn't that why we pay my pastors? Well, I would hope he studies. <laughs> <laughs> Although, to be very honest with you, I've heard, I've heard um, some preachers that they wonder if they do study, hmm. right? But I would hope that your pastor studies. But again, this is not something for just your pastor. This is something for yourself. You yourself uh, want to know the Word and want to be able to handle the Word. Uh, so it's not just uh, his his job, of course, is to study to prepare, and he ought to prepare much much uh, thor- more thorough than you do. But we are talking about you yourself discovering truth for yourself. Um, and again, I would like to say, if you're going to have that hunk of time or that 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 time that you're going to cut out there, it's going to be able. You're going to have to be able to deal with the distractions. And basically your distractions is going to be your cell phone, your, your TV, your television, uh, these electronic games, etc., etc. And for some people it may be even entertainment. Some people like entertainment. But it requires you to decide on some time that you are going to put into, into, into your Bible study. And you want this time to be a regular time. Um, if you're going to set aside an hour per day or or every other day, whatever it is, you want to have it that this is a special time for you to do your Bible study. Um, so I think that it's, it's crucial. And by the way, discover what type of person you are. Are you a morning person or are you a night person? 
So if you're going to set aside some time for your Bible study, you have to decide what, what type of person you are. Now, I'm a night person. I'm not a morning person. I don't function well in the morning. I don't think well in mornings. Uh, I think best after 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. I hardly go to sleep before 2 o'clock every day, basically. Uh, but again, that's me. Now, I can't get about 5 o'clock because I'm not a morning person. So I have to know myself. My best time is when everybody's asleep. There's no distractions, and I can just just study and study and study and study and study. So you have to find out for yourself how you are made, how you're wired. Mm. Uh, your best time may be the morning. I wish mine was the morning, to be very honest with you. But for me, it is it's at nights when everybody's asleep and, every, and so on and so forth. So most of my study is done um, after 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. Most of it is done. That doesn't mean I don't study during the day. I study during the day, but I'm talking about real, private, personal time. That that time is, uh, I would say, after 11, uh, basically. For the time I get home, I, I'm studying. Shoot. Uh, my my family had to tell you, once I get home at 5 o'clock, I eat, go and take a break. When I get up, I'm reading, basically. But then the real study starts when everybody's gone to sleep. That's how I'm wired. Not everybody's wired that way, and I don't expect everybody to be that way. I'm a pastor as well, so that's my job. My job is to devote myself to the study of the Word. Is one of, is, if you're a morning person, are you more spiritual than if you're a night person, or vice versa? No, I don't think so. I think what, what your, your, your best quality time, mm-hmm. if your best quality time is in the morning, that's the time you should give to the Lord. If your best quality time is, is at night when your mind is sharp and you can really focus. So I don't think it's a matter of uh, time is a matter of spirituality or day or night. I just think it's, it's giving your best and being able to, um, to focus. I think that's the key to it. But I don't think we can... If a person defines spirituality by getting up early in the morning and praying and so on, I'll be I'll be gone. I'll be I'll be written off. Right. <laughs> but if it comes to uh, at nights now, it's a different thing altogether. So I just think it had to decide what type of person you are, how you're wired. I've asked the question because I've heard some preachers say something to the effect of, if you're going to be a, a dedicated Christian, you need to start out your day with devotions, and that be your uh, be your food that you process for yeah. the rest of the day. I say hallelujah to him. <laughs> you know, when I was uh, uh, reading a lot of these ancient, uh, not ancient, all of these uh, old preachers, and some of these guys would spend four and five hours, two hours in prayer, and so on yeah. and so forth. But I need to remind you that those guys went to sleep like eight o'clock. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like eight o'clock in the night, there was no, there's no, you know, so electricity. Many, no electricity. So, yeah. so you gotta, you gotta compare period with period, the time of history. And uh, quite frankly, we are on a far different schedule. Uh, we've got a lot different means that they had at the point in time. But those are men that went by nine o'clock. Those men in their bed by by nine o'clock. I'm now studying, quite frankly. But then they would get up very early and devote a lot of their time. Uh, to their study and to prayer. And I admire people who have that capacity, but I don't have it. This night habit started with me when I was in secondary school. The only time I got to study for my exams was when everybody was to sleep and the television was off because it distracted me. So that has carried over from the time I was in secondary school right through my life. Um, I wish I was a morning person, but I was never disciplined to be a morning person. So my habit, I, I, I just can't seem to change that habit immediately. But that's the first thing I would think that is vitally important if you're going to Bible study. You have to schedule some time. And you have to treat this time as sacred. 
and uh, try to make sure that you are not going to be interrupted uh, as far as that is concerned because your Bible study has to be systematic and continuous. It can't be something that's haphazard. You start today, you go this week, and then you drop out, and then the next two weeks you start again. You'll never get in the way. You'll be going two steps forward and three steps backwards. So it requires uh, the fact that you schedule some time for your Bible study. The, the second thing, second important thing is um, to keep, how, always have a notebook with you when you're, when you're doing Bible study. Write down your thoughts. Don't trust your mind or trust your memory. And try to preserve the things you've discovered and you've observed. Uh, you you see some truth sometime, and then it, it hit you with such power. You get excited, and then the next day, because you didn't write it down or you didn't take a note of it, it's almost you've almost totally forgotten it. So you need a notebook when you're doing your your Bible study. And then thirdly, you need to get the right kind of tools uh, to get the job done thoroughly. If you're going to be an effective, efficient uh, student of the Scriptures, and you want to excel in your studies, you have to consider investing in certain tools that uh, are needed, uh, what I might call a personal reference library that you need to assist you in your study. You know, a carpenter has to have tools, the, the mason has to have tools, even an electronic technician has to have tools. Um, without tools, we can get the job done, but we can botch it sometimes, so that's why we need a proper uh, set of tools. And then the fourth um, basic uh, key is the whole matter of spending some sh- some time in prayer before you begin to study. And you pray for two basic things. You ask God to cleanse you. Uh, because if we regard iniquity in our hearts, the Lord will not hear us. So we want to make sure that we are heard. And the next thing you pray for is illumination. Uh, Open down my eyes that I may behold wondrous truths from your word. So you're praying and asking God for cleansing. You're asking God for illumination. Uh, I think those are the four uh, key things that are needed. A, a time that you schedule. Uh, a notebook, um, certain tools that you need to assist you in your Bible study, and some time in prayer. Uh, those are basically the, the four um, key elements when it comes to this whole matter of beginning your Bible study. Pastor, we had a caller who called in and wanted me to ask you this question. Should Christians celebrate the Passover? And this caller is from St. Martin. Should Christians celebrate the Passover? I don't see any biblical basis for celebrating this Passover. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. Why would we want to celebrate the, the Passover? Uh, look, what I found uh, among Jewish Christians, and they've got to be very, very careful, Judaism has always been a religion of outward, um, uh, outward trappings. And I have been to a Jewish church in the States already, and they are almost turning the church into a Jewish synagogue. Uh, they want to do the rituals with the. Um, they got the, the the uh, like a parchment. They want to do the Jewish dancing. Uh, they want to blow the shofar. In other words, they are trying to Judaize Christianity. Christianity and Judaism are was at war, and I am not too sure why we want to bring in all of these Jewish elements once again. The Jews got to understand that when they came to faith in Christ, remember that there are three groups: there's Jews. To the Gentiles and to the Church, the Church is not the Jew is not, is not Gentiles. The Church is is, is uh, what the Bible defines the Church to be. But I find that um, in trying to reach the Jews, I find that a lot of Jewish elements, especially when it comes to rituals and all the 
um, the the traditions of the Jewish traditions are now being brought into the church, and I think it's part of Jewish pride to be very honest with you. So I'm not one that believes that we should celebrate the the Passover. The Lord has told us that there are two. Um, services that we should celebrate basically two forms that is the baptism and the communion service I see no basis at all for any reason for observing the Passover but wouldn't those Jewish traditions be amoral there's nothing inherently wrong with the tradition as long as you keep it in balance I'm a little bit ambivalent about that I really think that um, Christianity is distinct from Judaism and I really think we should maintain our Christian distinctiveness rather than trying to somehow rope in Judaistic practices back into the Christian church. Um, you know, it's like, if I might say this without offending anybody on the on the radio, I don't intend to offend anybody. That's my problem with black churches and white churches. I really don't think there should be black churches and white churches or white churches and black churches. Mm-hmm. I really think the church is the church. And I think the American church system did a great disservice. And they're not reaping the consequences, by the way, because there are a lot of issues they can't deal with because they took positions that were clearly unbiblical. We're all one in Christ. It didn't matter whether it be pink, blue, black, or green. But uh, the American church, uh, uh, because of the... Um, the culture of the time and the 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 the, the, uh, the political situation and the racial situation of the time, they created this division, and I think it is pathetic that we would uh, we continue to perpetuate this kind of a system. Any person of any race should be able to go into any church, amen, right, without feeling uh, at all at ease, uh, uneasy. I think you should feel welcome and comfortable because we are all one body in Christ. I think it's a massive mistake that was made in the future. I think they're trying to address it, but it will still take a long time before that is is, is finally resolved because there are still elements that still want to hold to this uh, this racial division when it comes to the church, etc., etc. I think that was a massive mistake. And I thought the church had a wonderful opportunity to break down a lot of barriers if they had taken the political position that your brother in Christ and whether you be Jew or Gentile whoever you are in Christ you're one you're treated as one on the same power with the same equality with the same dignity that was a mistake of the church and we're still reaping the consequence of that today about a year ago when I was back in the States raising financial support for the station I visited a church in Yonkers, New York and it was one of the most amazing experiences to step into the church Sunday morning and realize how multicultural there were Asians, there were uh, African Americans, there was uh, white people, there was Italian, there was Russian, but just to see people, the, it, it was almost made me think of of what heaven is going to be like yeah. when we get there, and there's people from every tongue and every tribe praising our Lord. It's a beautiful thing to see. A really beautiful thing when you see that um, that what matters is our faith and trust in Christ. It's mm-hmm. not the pigmentation of a person's color or the status in society or the economic um, uh, position in life or political position. But we have allowed so many things to divide the church. Politics in Antigua, for example, is one of the biggest divisions of churches in, in Antigua. I've known of churches in Antigua split over politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's tragic because we have allowed uh, uh, our political position uh, to divide us from our brother and sister in Christ. But I, I, I think that we need to be very, very careful um, uh, as far as trying to create and maintain distinctions which should not be there. And we are one... Look, in heaven, 
there will be none of these distinctions going to matter in heaven, you know, and so on and so forth. And, and, and they're not supposed to be designed to, to, to make any difference down here. I think we have perpetuated this, this distinction, and it is sad because the ultimate goal of Christ, if you read the book of Ephesians, is to unite all under one head, who is Christ. That is God's ultimate purpose that he's working out and planning on, to reunite all under one head, Jesus Christ. Now, I am not for ecumenicalism. I am not for uh, world government. Uh, if you know the Bible very clear, there is going to be a world government ultimately, but it's not a government that God approves. It is going to lead ultimately to the final apostasy, and it's going to lead to the complete breakdown and uh, world tyranny. That's where the world is being, is headed. Uh, but I am not for, I'm for uniting all under one head. That is Jesus Christ. Thank you for that question from St. Martin. We hope that that answered your question. Time Across the Eastern Caribbean is 819. You're listening to That's Truth. The voice that you've been hearing teaching is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church here in Antigua. Pastor Murphy has over 30 years of ministering experience here in the Eastern Caribbean. Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? You can give us a call at one 462 That's the number to be put live on the air. If you'd like to WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to one 782 Or if you're joining us on Facebook Live, thank you for joining us, and you can comment your question by the video feed, and it'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy. Pastor, we were talking about how do I prepare for a Bible study, and one of the things that you said is to have the right tools. Can you expound on that? What are the right tools? Well, as I pointed out to you, that Bible study is a skill, and every skill requires some kind of tools. And the wonderful thing about English-speaking, the English-speaking world, is that we have many practical study helps that um, make Bible study so much easier for us. Sometimes uh, I really feel um, somewhat sorry for people who are not, can't speak English, especially when I go into the CLC or I go into any other Christian bookstore and see the abundance of helps that we have that are not available in different languages. Um, so we got an abundance of help in the English-speaking world, and these tools are not intended to replace the Bible, but are intended to help you in your study of the Bible. And any serious Bible student who wants to to to, to be uh, to be taken seriously in terms of his study, uh, he ought to uh, realize that there are these tools that he can acquire that will facilitate his pursuit of a Bible study. Um, if you don't have these tools, it makes it much more difficult for you. Uh, the work becomes more tedious and burdensome and difficult for you. And these tools are designed really to help you and to facil- facilitate your investigation into the Word. Let me uh, mention some of the tools that I think you need if you're going to study a Bible seriously. Um, again, there's not any particular order. But there are some reference tools, I believe, that would help you enormously in your pursuit of your Bible study. The first tool is uh, try to get a good study Bible. I think this is the tool of the greatest importance. And when you get a study Bible, uh, get one that um, has some good margins. Get one that has um, cross-references. 
and uh, get one that is thick enough that when you write on one page, it doesn't close to on the other. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes we make when we get a good study Bible. We don't really think of it. We can put notations, and then when you look on the other side, you can see it through. Um, try to get one that is at least, um, it would help you if you got a King James study Bible. I'll tell you why. Because the two great concordances, the Strong's Concordance and the Young's Concordance, are linked to the King James Version. So, really, in truth and fact, if you don't have, um, if you use another Bible, you find great difficulty in trying to find the words in either Strong's or Young's Concordance. Um, I would mention to you um, some of the study Bibles, I think, that would be best for you to get. Um, one is, is the Thompson's chain reference, chain reference. This is 40 years of work that was done into this particular uh, reference Bible. There's also the Rary Study Bible, which is more current, more up-to-date, and if you want an evangelical point of view, uh, this is the guy from Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, this is a Bible that is worth having, Study Bible. Then there's the Open Bible, and of course the classic is the Schofield Reference Bible. Get the updated one if you're going to get it. And then Hallman's also have a study Bible. But this is the first and most important tool that you should have. A good study Bible. Preferably um, King James Version if you are going to be serious because you're going to need to use Strong's, you're going to need to use Young's Concordance. And if you use uh, Tyre's uh, lexicon as well, his lexicon is also coded to the Strong's Concordance, so which is the King James Version. So if you really want to use that tool. Now, in addition to your study Bible, you need a good modern version. Um, the language changes over time, and you need uh, a Bible in contemporary English. Sometimes you can get a parallel version that gives you several different uh, versions on one page parallel to each other in case you need some greater clarity. But try to avoid a paraphrase. A paraphrase is normally a Bible that is in, um, that is uh, interpreted by one person, like the Living Bible. Uh, that is one person that, that um, came up with that interpretation. Normally, if you get a, a, a modern version, they're normally a group of scholars from all over the world, international scholars that did the, the translation, so you're going to get a more accurate translation. Uh, and I would suggest for your modern version, the ESV, uh, the, or the, the New English uh, Version, the NSV, as well as the New American Standard Version, and the New King James Version, which takes a lot of the archaic words and put in modern words that makes it much more easier to follow your thought. So you've got your study Bible, and then you need a modern version. Do those need to be paper copies that I can actually flip the pages, or is it? A, do you recommend their paper, or can it be electronic? For me, I'm old school. Right? I find it much more easy. I like a hard copy. I like to make notations. So whether it's my Bible or I like a book, I don't. I mean, I have a lot of books on my Kindle, but again, I don't feel the same facility in using them as I would use a, a hard copy book that has pages. Uh, I, I think I am because I'm not um, up to par with the electronic systems. Uh, if a person is very competent in that area, you can do notation and put notes and so on and so forth, I suspect that would be comfortable. Whatever you feel comfortable with. But for me, I like a hard copy because I like to put notate notes in my, in, my, in my thing. But if you feel comfortable and you're very adept at using the, the computer form, uh, by all means, utilize that. I know the one thing that I dislike about the computer form is the distractions. 
a, a WhatsApp message can pop up. Uh-huh. Uh, if you're reading it on your phone or an email can pop up if you're using your computer. Uh, whereas if you have a, a paper copy and I'm stuck away somewhere in the corner of a room or at a desk or on the couch, uh-huh. uh, I'm able to stay focused and I'm less likely to get distracted. Uh-huh. That's well, just for me personally. Yeah, no, I'm glad that that's your, uh, your evaluation of it because, again, because I don't use the electronic, I'm not aware that th- those kind of things would distract from it, but I can see what you're saying. And again, um, I would hope that those who are listening would, would take that into consideration in selecting whatever type of uh, Bible they're going to use. But you've got the, uh, the study Bible. You need a modern version to go along with the King James Version. The reason why I advocated the King James Version for a study Bible, again, is because you need to be able to use these different tools, especially the Strong's Concordance and the Young's Concordance, which are normally linked to the King James Version. Uh, so, uh, and then the third thing I think is important. Um, the third tool is the, an exhaustive concordance. Outside the Bible, it's probably the most important tool that you would use. It's an index of each word in, in the Bible, and uh, each reference is given. Uh, so, if you want to check up a particular word, you will be able to check that word in the back of it. It's coded, and uh, you can look in the back, and it also has the Greek and the Hebrew which will explain the root meaning of the word, how it is used in the Bible, etc. But this is an invaluable tool, the exhaustive uh, concordance. There are two of these that are available today. This is Strong's Concordance, Exhaustive Concordance, and the Young's Analytical Concordance. Uh, Young's is probably a little bit better because of the way it's arranged, but most uh, books are linked to the Strong's. So I would suggest to you that you probably go with the Strong's as opposed to the Young's uh, Analytical Concordance. But this is an, uh, a tool that you would use again and again and again. If you're looking for a, like prayer, you're looking for um, justification, or you're looking for some name, you just search in the back for that, that name, and then you have a whole list of wherever that name is mentioned in the Bible. And then there's a code that goes to the back of the concordance that tells you the meaning of that word, the root meaning, how it is used, etc., etc. And the, the correct pronunciation as well, because a lot of these words are tongue tires, especially when it comes to names. Uh, and you need to be able sometimes to find out exactly how the name is pronounced. So you've got your study Bible, you've got your modern translation, you've got your exhaustive Strong's Concordance. The fourth uh, tool I think you need is a, a good Bible dictionary or a good Bible encyclopedia. A Bible dictionary uh, explains many of the words, the topics, the customs, and the traditions in the Bible. Uh, it also gives you historical, geographical, cultural, and archaeological background, and any anything that's discovered that had relevance to the passage. And it also gives you short biographies of the major characters that you find in the Bible, and provides a lot of information in terms of the background to each book of the Bible. The Bible Encyclopedia is an expanded version of the Bible Dictionary, and it gives you much longer articles and go into subjects in greater detail. But initially, it would be good if you can get uh, a Bible Dictionary. Uh, Those I would recommend would be the new Bible Dictionary published by Erdman's. There's a Wycliffe Bible Encyclopedia, two volumes published by uh, by, uh, Moody Press, and then, of course, the classic evangelical one, Unger's Bible Dictionary, published by Moody. And then Zondervan has a very exhaustive pictorial encyclopedia, five volumes. Uh, I would suggest you start with the uh, maybe the Unger's, 
and then later maybe you can add another one to it. But I think the Bible Dictionary is very, very helpful when you begin to study books of the Bible, etc. Fifth tool. Oh, you got a question? Yeah, I've got a question that just came in via WhatsApp from Antigua, and we'll come back to your list of tools. Uh, Pastor, very good program. I've tried to study the Bible beginning from Genesis, but got discouraged when reading the genealogy in the Old Testament. And there's a couple of questions that are combined here, so I'll read through it, and then we'll take it piece by piece. What is the best way to study the Bible? Do I study a chapter in Genesis and a chapter in the Old Testament? Uh, I heard a pastor once say, to begin studying the Gospel of John, since that book applies mainly to the world. If I study the Bible following a particular guide, will the Bible study be more effective? And the final question, which area of the Bible is more practical for modern Christians to study in today's world? So the first one, you may have already forgotten what it was. What is the best way to study the Bible? Do I study a chapter in Genesis and a chapter in the Old Testament. I think that might have meant the New Testament. Now, I am hoping you're making a distinction between your devotions and Bible study. Remember, uh, there's nothing wrong with your devotion to read a chapter in the New Testament, a chapter in the, in, the, in the Old Testament, okay? But when it comes to study, you want to be systematic. You want to decide that you are going to study a book. And if you the first time you started, don't start with Isaiah, a huge book which is over 50-something chapters. The, the best way to get into the habit of Bible study is to target a small book, one of the smallest books of the Bible. Maybe First John uh, would be uh, First Epistle of John, or the book of Jude. But start on a book that is very, very short, because you're building skills as you go deeper into the study. The same skills you learn in dealing with John or you're dealing with um, Jude, you carry those skills to a larger book. But that's the first thing I would suggest to you, that if you're serious about Bible studies, focus on a, a, one of the smaller books of the Bible and do a thorough study on that book of the Bible first. Um, I would recommend that you alternate. In other words, if I study John, then I study an Old Testament book. Uh, because you can never understand the New Testament without grasping the Old Testament. So you're going to have to somehow get a grasp of the Old Testament to understand the New Testament. And this is true of the, the especially when it comes to prophecy. This is also true when it comes to the Gospels. And many of Paul's epistles make a lot of allusions to the Old Testament. And unless you are knowledgeable in that area, you can find it difficult to understand what Paul means in those areas. So I would suggest a small book in the New Testament first, Try to hone your skills on that, develop your skills. Then, after you've completed that book, uh, go to an Old Testament book and try to find a short book again. Find one of these small, like maybe Nahum or Habakkuk or one of those books. But again, if you're going to do it that way, you need the tools because uh, the Bible Dictionary would give you a background to the book of uh, Nahum or any of those books, tell you what's the main theme, etc., etc. And then you can use the other tools to, to investigate words, uh, concepts, etc. But I think the alternating is good because you're trying to get a handle of the entire Bible in its totality. It would be good to be able to go to from Genesis, but you would probably would be dead by the time you get to Revelations because if you spend that amount of time on it, yeah. But alternate books, don't alternate chapters. No, don't alternate chapters, alternate books. You want to know a book. You want to be able to say, I know Jude. You know, the, the idea of, of uh, hot scotching, moving from one to the other. Um, you never learn anything in depth. You just learn by piecemeal. You want to understand the, 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 the books of the Bible so you have a, a greater comprehension of the overall teaching of the book. What's the other question? 
I heard a pastor once say to begin by studying the Gospel of John, since that book applies mainly to the world. Well, it depends if what level of conversion you are. If you are a believer who's been saved for a num- number of years, and you're already grounded in the Gospel, it may not be necessary for you to read the book of John. But if you're a young convert, generally speaking, it is recommended that you study the book of John because John is that uh, gospel that is very, very evangelical. And there are a lot of encounters with personalities in the book of John and how Christ dealt with them. And uh, so I think it's very helpful to study the book. And then you get grounded in who Jesus really is. Uh, That is one book that emphasizes again that he's not just a man. He is deity, he's God. And you get dimensions to his character uh, that is a real uplift to the spirit, especially if you just became a new convert. If I study the Bible following a particular guide, will the Bible study be more effective? It's always good to have some tool to guide you in the systematic study of the Bible. No doubt about that. So I'm not too sure. Um, I know that, again, we want to make a distinction between Bible reading. There are Bible reading guides that tell you how to read each chapter, etc. There's a difference between your devotion but if you're talking about uh, Bible study, um, I, again, whatever you feel comfortable with, I think, is the, is the key to it. The thing is that to find, don't get distracted and, and don't start and stop. And sometimes, by the way, when you lose interest in a particular study, you need to get up, walk around, do something, and then come back to it. Sometimes you're going to get a lot of it. You know, you might study for one hour. You get so much of it. Another time, that your, your thoughts are not there. Your mind is distracted. In a case like that, get up, walk away, take a break, uh, etc. But don't try to force read and to try to rush it. Uh, sometimes you just need to slow down, and you're not going to get as much today as you got uh, yesterday. But the thing is to be consistent in the discipline. And as you go on and you tough it out like everything else you do, you become an expert, and uh, you begin to see the true benefits of it. And finally, which area of the Bible is more practical for modern Christians to study in today's world? As far as I'm concerned, I feel that the epistles are vitally important because of the issues that we are confronted with today. Uh, the other thing that I find that is really, really crucial for uh, a lot of the issues is the book of Genesis. I don't know if you realize it, that all of the major problems we are confronted with, whether it be marriage, what, gender, evolution, uh, euthanasia, uh, the seed of all the major basic moral truths are in the book of Genesis. And I think if we can get hold of that book itself. But then the Pauline epistles that deal with issues like the Gnosticism in Colossians or deal with the church in, in uh, um, Ephesians chapter 3 or when it comes to the whole matter of assurance, the epistles of John, uh, hereby we know and he gives about seven different reasons we can know how we're saved. Mm-hmm. And then the Pauline epistles that addresses such things as immorality, um, the last days, the fallen away, the apostasy. I do feel that the the New Testament epistles. And then, one other thing that we must not forget, the Beatitudes. Uh, profound teaching in the Beatitudes in terms of what people within the kingdom of God, how our attitude should be, and uh, how we ought to live. So I would think the... The teachings of Christ, the Beatitudes, and the Pauline epistles, and the Johannine epistles, I think those are probably the best and most profitable ones. But remember, the Bible all scripture is given and is profitable. Yeah. Right? Uh, the prophets, for example, I am. I was started reading uh, today, uh, once again, the book of Isaiah, and the chapters, I think I'm up to chapter 5. 
there are a lot of prophecies in the first five chapters of, of, of Isaiah that I found very, very interesting. And of course, we just completed a study on the book of uh, Ezekiel. Mm. A lot of Bible prophecy in the book of Ezekiel, especially the invasion of Russia into into Palestine, uh, which you'll find very interesting. But also the other other um, great truths that are there. But basically, I think we should start in the New Testament and work our way back into the Old. For me personally, I, the first book that I remember going through was the book of James as a teenager. Very practical. Yes. I remember being kind of discouraged with the genealogies, but coming to James chapter 1, and after it gets through the greeting, it's just, uh, if you need wisdom, ask God. He's going to give to you. He's not going to punish you for asking. Uh, and talking about looking at Scripture as a mirror and very practical. Yeah, I forgot about James, to be honest with you, but I do agree with you that it's the, it's the most practical New Testament book in the Scriptures, really, in terms of dealing with specific topics. Very, very practical. I agree with that. And the guard, the warning it has about controlling our tongue applies to all of us, some of us a little bit more than others. But if you have a question for us, please give us a call. You can call and be put live on the air at one two six eight four six two seven four two zero. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to one two six eight seven eight two one four five four. Or you can send your question via email to crlthatstruth at gmail.com. All one word, no spaces, no apostrophe. crlthatstruth at gmail.com. Pastor, we were talking about uh, the tools that I need in order to have a successful Bible study. And I believe you were on number five. Yeah, number five would be a topical Bible and uh, this is similar to a concordance, except that the categories and the verses in the Bible are given by topics, not just by words. And it helps the person as well because the the verse, the words, the verses itself are actually written out in the topical Bible. Um, again, if you want to study certain topics, you may not find the word in the verse, but the principle or the concept is there. For example, if you're going to study the Trinity. You're not going to find the Trinity in the in the concordance, but in a topical Bible, no, it will give you the Trinity and they give you all the different verses that will relate to the Trinity. Uh, or you want to study the deity of Christ, you can't look at the deity of Christ in a concordance, but in a topical Bible, they have the deity of Christ and they have all the biblical Bible verses that you can then check. Or, or the rapture. I mean, there's no word rapture in, in, in that particular word, but again, the concept is there, and they'll give you all the reference. That's the value of having uh, a topical uh, Bible. And th- let me mention two of them, which I think are very helpful. Um, Nave topical Bible is the standard uh, topical Bible that most people it's have. N-A-V-E-S. N-A-V-E, yeah, Nave topical Bible. And then there's one called Tories. Uh, new topical Bible as well, our Atari. But generally speaking, most people try to get Nave's topical Bible, and uh, that is the one that uh, seems to be more popular. The one with uh, Tari, Tari is an evangelical um, uh, um, leader, and it, if you really want a, a more up to date than Nave's, it would be the, the, the Tari. And the sixth one uh, that is very helpful is a Bible handbook. A Bible handbook is a combination of a encyclopedia and a commentary but in a more concise form uh, if you want a quick reference uh, to a passage that is where your Bible handbook comes in uh, it is designed uh, to follow the order 
of the Bible, like a concourse in Genesis right to Revelation, and it will give you background notes, it will give you a brief history, uh, a brief commentary on the, the passage. It would also give you any maps or charts that relate to the passage that you're dealing with, and then any archaeological notes that relates to, like, especially when it comes to the some um, our discovery that relates to that particular passage will give you that archaeological information that will give you extra biblical support if you're going to deal with it. And then a lot of other helpful facts are normally included, like statistics about churches, um, missionaries, etc., etc. Two very good Bible handbooks. Um, I want to mention three. Uh, I have two of them, but I don't have the third one. Haley's um, Bible handbook. This is the one that most people try to get. And then Unger's Bible Handbook by Baker. The Haley's is by Zondervan. And then Erdman's Handbook of the Bible, also by Erdman's, uh, is another uh, good. But the, the, the one you should try to get is either Haley's or Unger's. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 kilohertz AM, 92.3 megahertz FM, and online at www radiolighthouse.org We are discussing how to study the Bible and properly interpret it. Pastor, off the top of your head, what are some dangers of not studying the Bible? Well, I don't know how you're going to grow. Uh, it's through the meat of the word. Uh, Peter said in First Peter, it's through the milk of the word that we grow thereby. Just like you have a physical body that needs to be supplied with natural uh, foods and nutrients and vitamins, etc., etc. The spiritual person has to grow, the spiritual nature has to grow, and God has given us one simple means of feeding the Spirit, and that is the Word. And without a person being in the Word, it's impossible for that person to grow spiritually. Again, well, Nathan, that's why we have so many spiritual dwarfs in our churches. I would challenge, and I, and I, I know that it might seem very negative, and... Uh, and it might rub people the wrong way, but I am suggesting to you, and I'm suggesting to those who are listening, that the real crisis in the church is that there is no Bible study and there's very little prayer. And when you have that combination, you cannot have strong Christians. Uh, you will have uh, anemic believers uh, who will not be able to deal with a lot of issues and face a lot of issues in life. So that, that is one of the dangers. The other thing is, of course, if you don't know the truth, you'll always be deceived by error. The mm. way to counteract error is to know truth. That describes a lot of people that I can think of. Yeah. Met men. Yeah, I think that is why we are in the confused state that we're in today. Uh, I am appalled at the ignorance of people who um, think that certain things are normal and that they are somehow antithetical to Scripture. When in truth and fact, the problem is that they just don't know the Scripture because the Bible speaks clearly on these matters. Pastor, we have a caller calling from Piccadilly, Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead quickly with your question, please. Uh, good, good evening, brothers. Good evening, sir. Um, it's just, uh, um, you said something about um, reading the New Testament first. Yeah. And then uh, referencing to the Old Testament afterwards. Yes. Um, well, my question is, um, when Jesus um, well, not question, um, uh, statement. And Jesus um, was basically um, speaking to his disciples or the crowds or who have you. Yes. Who have you. Um, he will basically be referencing um, like texts from the... Old from Testament. The, uh, yes. 
Yeah. Um, to, to bring across. Yeah. I understand that. Let, let, let me. Uh, okay, go ahead. I'm listening to you. Go ahead. Right. And um, Stephen's testimony and all of that, he basically referenced Old Testament scriptures and then, you know, come come back to um, um, the new generation yeah. that he was actually dealing with. Yes. So, um, like, for example, when, when Jesus, when, when, when Satan was tempting um, Jesus Christ, yes. when, he, when, he, when, he, when he told him um, to turn the, 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 the stones into bread, uh-huh. right, um, he could have said that it is written, man yes. shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. Yes. That scripture is actually in the Old Testament. Correct. Don't worry me. Yes, yes. Where God had told, told Moses, I, I gave the children of Israel manna uh-huh. so that they understand and know that man shall not live by bread alone, but right, by every right. word that proceeded from the mouth of God. Yes. So, I, I don't know. I, I'm just... I'm not, just yeah, let me suggest to you why I said that, though. Yes. When our Lord was dealing with people, He was dealing with people who were biblically literate. Uh, people who understood the Old Testament. Uh-huh. We're living in a generation that is completely illiterate when it comes to Scripture. They don't know the Bible, period. They've not been taught it. You know, when I was a boy going to school, uh-huh. it was taught in school. It was a subject we dealt with, like CXC, like you had at uh, Cambridge. We, we, did, we, we did Scripture. Uh-huh. But we're living in an age now where we have a generation that really, really don't have a clue what the Bible teaches. Uh-huh. And uh, it's a different situation. But I am not at all discounting the value of the Old Testament. Please, don't think that. I think the greatest book that we should really read is the book of Genesis. I think that's yes. where everything begins. Mm-hmm. But because we are living in this generation that hardly knows anything, yeah. uh, I think that the simpler truths, uh, the, the Beatitudes, the teachings of Christ. The other thing I would say is that remember that uh, our Lord, there was no New Testament uh-huh. in his time. He only had the Old Testament especially the Septuagint, to deal with. Uh-huh. So he could not make a reference at all to the New Testament because it was not written. We've got the entire scriptures today. Uh-huh. And I think as well that the, a lot of the issues, what I'm afraid of when they go into the Old Testament, they see the genealogies, they see about the sacrifices and uh-huh. that kind of thing. Uh, that confuses this generation. But oh. eventually when you come to the sacrifice of Christ, you will have to go back to the Old Testament to understand that all those sacrifices were types and shadows of things to come. Yeah, but because of the, the level of ignorance, to use uh-huh. a, not, not to use a term that much pejorative, uh-huh. but that's the generation we've got. And I think they're much easier to bring them into the New Testament, give them the gospel, uh-huh. get them converted, and then begin to teach them the things that they really should know. Okay. Uh, we're not discounting the Old Testament, sir. To do that would be a great yeah, disservice. Look, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I understand what you're coming from. I really do. Thank you so very much. Oh, um, there's, there's, there's a question that I have. Sure. Um, no, we said that this generation, um, they, they, they're ignorant to, to the Word of God. Yeah, biblically ignorant. That's it, biblically ignorant. Does that have anything to do with our generation now versus the generation before who used to be actually teaching the Word of God to individuals, even down to um, memorizing the, 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 the books of the Bible from Genesis to Malachi and from Matthew to Revelation? Yes, sir. It has to do with that. Look, one of the problems we're having in our church, I don't know about your church, mm-hmm. parents are not even sending kids to Sunday school. Uh-huh. So when I was in Sunday school, I learned all the books of the Bible. I knew so much truth when I was in Sunday school because I was taught it. Yeah. We're living in a generation that doesn't even, uh, parents don't even send the kids to Sunday school. Uh-huh. I was in a generation where, as I told you, I, I had uh, in the school, every morning we had devotions. We yeah. had a scripture verse that was read, somebody that yeah. preached. Yeah. And there was a prayer time. Then in addition to that, we had we studied religious education uh-huh. as a subject. 
Wow. So it was pervasive. Yeah. Now this generation, I mean, we don't teach it in the schools. Huh. We hardly have it in, in uh, we might have a little prayer with them on, on maybe once a week in, in school. It's not like every day you have a, a morning service. Yeah. And then parents are no longer having the discipline to send the kids to Sunday school at the early age so they learn biblical truth. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I think that this is the generation that we're living in. It's a completely different generation than my time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we've got to learn to adjust to it. Look, what we've done to solve our Sunday school problem, let me tell you how we, how we solved it. I didn't solve it. The yeah. ladies in our church solved it. Yeah. We went down to about maybe four or five children coming to Sunday school. Yeah. And we couldn't understand why would kid parents not send. And then the, the ladies got together and uh, we said we got a problem. How do we solve the problem? Yeah. And they came up with a brilliant idea. Turned out to be a brilliant idea. Why don't we have Sunday school on Sunday evenings? Uh-huh. Well, I didn't think it would work because I couldn't see why he would parents send a child in the evening and not in the morning. Yeah. But I said, listen, you run with this. Let's uh-huh. see how it goes. Yeah. And we are running about 30 now in Sunday school on okay. Sunday evenings going from 4.30 to about 6 o'clock. Okay. Okay. So we had to change the methodology. Yeah. Same message, different method. Yeah. And I thank the ladies for the wisdom that they had because I was baffled how to solve the problem. Okay, 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 okay. Thank okay. you very much for your call. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the program and continue to encourage others to listen. God bless you. Uh, Pastor Murphy, uh, in discussing how to properly study the Bible. How do I, I've got my tools, I'm ready, but how do I proceed to actually study the Bible? Well, let me mention two other tools quickly. Okay. Because yeah. I, I mentioned six of them. There are two others I think that are important. Didn't realize you had so many. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just trying to, look, if people are serious about doing Bible study, uh, like if I'm going to be a good carpenter, mm-hmm. I can get a, a hammer and a chisel and I can go in, and a saw, basically. Those are the basic tools. Mm-hmm. But if I really want to do the work, if I get a power saw. I get a, a plane that is um, ele- uh, electrical plane that can do the whole work. It makes my work far much easier to have the correct tools. So if a person is actually serious, I, I want to help them in that. The other one is a, a, a set of what you call word studies. Uh, this eno- enables a, belie- a person who is, doesn't know Greek or doesn't know Hebrew to be able to understand the, the the meaning of the Greek word. I don't need to say to you that sometimes the word that is translated in the King James Version is a very archaic, ancient it doesn't it might have meant that in sixteen eleven, but the word meaning has changed. So I've got to be able to find out what exactly that word means. And that's where the word study comes in. It gives you the original root of the word it gives you the various uh, translations of that particular word because one word in the Bible can be can be translated by five or six different words. Sometimes ten words are one word in the Bible, but I would not know that unless I have a word study that explains that to me. And then it also gives you how that word is used in uh, contemporary cultures that were in the same century in which that word w- was found. Uh, and they also help you know how that word is used frequently in the scriptures. For those of you who might be interested, uh, there are certain volumes that are very helpful for word studies. The one that you should have if you can afford it is Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words. That is published by Fleming and Revel. That is a classic standard that people normally try to get. Then there's Weiss, Kenneth Weiss Word Studies published by Erdman's. I find that this one is far more helpful from a homiletical point of view, the Weiss series of hers, about seven of the books. Yes, go ahead. 
Pastor, we have a caller calling from Antigua. Thank you for calling. Go ahead quickly with your question, please. Oh, yeah. I'm just wondering. Um, good night. I have a wonderful program all the time. Thank you. I just want to know about um, the books in, them in the Bible and why there are so many men have written in the Bible and what happens to the, the scriptures and them for the woman if there is no woman at all have a book in the Bible. Yeah, so uh, why there's so many men authors but there's not uh, women authors to the books of the Bible? Yeah. Well, well, the first thing I would like to say, don't forget we're dealing with over 1,500 years of uh, history. So it's not surprising that you would have 66 books. If you take uh, 66 men and divide them into 160, 1,500 years, you'll see that you're, you're dealing with vast periods of time. So, and the other thing is, remember that God's revelation is progressive. In the Old Testament, it's really the history of God calling the nation of Israel and how God led through the nation of Israel, the Messiah would come. So you've got the, the, the history of that nation, and you've got all the different periods that nation went through, how they, uh, they sometimes followed the Lord, sometimes they apostatized, and God had to call prophets to speak to different ones, etc., etc. Um, the reason why I think that there are no books written by women, now I, this might seem somewhat, uh, I'm not a male chauvinist by any means, but I do believe that God has called men to lead, not only in the home, I believe that God has called men to lead in the church. And it's for this reason that I believe that God has selected men to write the scriptures. Uh, that is not to say that women are incompetent, but it's just that God has selected men to be the leaders. Men are born to be leaders, and uh, this is what God intended. Um, today, unfortunately, we have, we have come to a point where we're reversing that. And I think that in the long term, we are going to pay certain consequences for that. I think in the church and in the home as well. Uh, that's why I think, to some extent, the home has broken down because men are not performing their roles. The woman has to pr perform the role both of a man and a woman. He's both the, she's both the wife and the husband. And uh, women lead by default. I think most women recognize um, that they would like a leader, but when there's no leader, women normally would lead by default. So, but I do feel that God intended men to be the leaders in the home and in the church. And that is why I think that most of the authors that you find in Scripture are, are men. And, um, but, and I also think you, you have all of those books, again, because of the long period from 1,500 1, years. Uh, you must have authors to, at different periods of time. Thank you very much. Go ahead. Very quickly. So what do you think about when God realized that... Um, we have no scriptures with women in the Bible. You think he feel a way that he, he, he should really think that he should have a scripture about some woman or so whosoever are living on the earth now who are preaching and doing miracles for him? What do you think he think about that? Well, God has already finished his revelation. The, the Old Testament and the New Testament is an Old Covenant and a New Covenant. The only two covenants. The, the only thing that God has given us all that we need to know within the Scriptures. He's, if you read the book of... I would challenge you to read the book of Genesis and read the book of Revelation. It's like opening the first chapter and ending the, 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 the final book. They, they dovetail into each other. And sandwiched in between Genesis and Revelation are all these other books. But clearly, the Bible is complete. We don't need any further revelation. There are some books in the Bible, by the way, that, uh, that uh, tell the story of women, like the book of Esther, mm -hmm. the book of Ruth. Yeah. 
So there are books in the Bible that has to do with women, and they played major role uh, in in terms of that historic, both in the case of Ruth yeah, like and, and and the case of Esther. So it's not that God, uh, but you know, we have to understand that God is God is sovereign. And God decides what His intentions were. What we need to do again and again. And I keep telling people, go to Bible, the Bible and find out what God, what was God's intention. That's the way you you solve the problems that we're faced with today. Like you take the, the same-sex marriage. Go back to Genesis. Find what was God's intention. The homosexual problem. Find out what was God's intention. When you find out what God intended, uh, then we can begin to deal with some of these issues. Codrington, thank you very much for that call. I appreciate it. Uh, Pastor, real quickly, we have a WhatsApp question. We're going to have sure. to pick up this topic again next week, but a WhatsApp question from Antigua. And the question is, uh, let me pull it up here. The question is, is it okay if I use either the Drake's topical or the Schofield 1909 Study Bible. What are your thoughts, Pastor? Well, I'm not too familiar with Drake's. I had to I'll research that when I uh, come back next time. I'll give an answer. Uh, but anything to do with the Schofield, I think, is, is perfectly well, although it's been updated. All right. All right. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. Thank you for those of you that interacted with us. Thank you for your questions. Be sure to join us again next Tuesday evening when we will be discussing, continuing this discussion on how to properly study the Bible and the importance of interpreting it properly. Thanks for listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. God bless you. Have a good night. Keep your radio dial tuned to CRL. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM, if you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.